0: Sam, if there's one thing I've said on this podcast many times before, it's that I love audiobooks. They let me bring my stories with me anywhere I go, and I've listened to audiobooks while driving, cooking, working out, traveling, and even recently, kind of weirdly, well, at the dentist. (laughs) Our
1: sponsor, Audible, can help bring your books with you wherever you go. Right now, our US listeners can get a 30-day free trial of Audible the destination for audiobooks and podcasts when they go to audibletrial.com forward slash fanbooks pod.
0: On Audible, you can download and listen to thousands of audiobooks, including one that I myself narrated and catch up on all of your reading today.
1: That's audibletrial.com forward slash fanbooks pod. And to make it even easier, that link is in the show description. Happy listening. This is the Fantastic Books Podcast,
0: the fantasy and sci-fi book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories, covering some of the most loved fantasy series
1: as well as brand new novels with your hosts, Anna and Sam. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam and Anna and this week we're doing something a little different we're just talking about our love for reading some of our reading styles maybe favorite characters what we look for in a book and just great memories associated with reading and fun stories
0: and I think even outside of reading just the fantasy genre in general you know video games movies tv shows what do we love about this genre and
1: what are we looking for in a good story
0: So I think we're just going to kind of shoot the shit. We don't have any format for this episode. We're having some drinks. We're having a good time and talking about books. Yeah,
1: just rolling off the cuff and seeing what pops on.
0: All right. So I think a good way to start this would be what book got you into fantasy?
1: Ooh, okay. So when I think fantasy, the first thing definitely comes to mind for me is Aragon. Ugh,
0: okay, go on. <laughs>
1: no, I I feel like I discovered that book at the perfect age.
0: Okay, that's fair, that's it fair. It was
1: like maybe fifth or sixth grade. It was the first time I read something rather than watch something about things I really enjoy. Where I've read short stories, but a lot of time through elementary school, being dyslexic, reading was not my favorite medium. It took me definitely a couple of years with tutoring to be able to recognize letters in its proper orientation. Okay. So I want to say fourth, fifth grade is really where I started casually picking up books more than just what was assigned in school. Everyone was talking about Aragon. You'd see it on the shelves for Scholastic Book Fairs in the library.
0: Oh, I loved Scholastic like, Book fair. <laughs> Again,
1: Scholastic Book Fairs is such a concrete feeling and experience for so many people. And I think that's what gets a lot of people into reading and excited about books at a young age.
0: Well, I think also we're millennials. That's obviously like a huge part of our generation. I'm not sure how much scholastic book fairs are still put into schools. Yeah. But one thing for me is I always remember I would go to the scholastic book fair. I have very distinct memories of it in my elementary school. My first elementary school was kindergarten through third grade and it was two miles down the road from my house. Every year, I either forgot the money my mom gave me or the money my mom gave me was like $2 short from what I want.
1: Oh, uh, just Like, enough. just not enough. Mm.
0: And I have a very distinct memory of my friend's mom was like, oh, don't worry about it. I've got you. You can pay me back. Which for an adult, like a $15 book is like not a big deal. But for someone in first grade, that's like a huge amount of money. And I remember I was kind of like, wandering around our very small elementary school library and also backstory my elementary school librarian was friends with my grandma from like 100 years ago which is very cute but i i was just you know wandering around looking at the displays and obviously because it was 2001 i stopped at the harry potter and the sorcerer's stone awesome cardboard cutout book cover display
1: true magic
0: and this parent was like I'm not going to buy you that book. I'll buy you anything except for Harry Potter. And in that moment Harry Potter for me became forbidden fruit and I wanted it <laughs> so I wanted it so badly you don't even understand.
1: Dark magic.
0: <laughs> the dark magic had had me on lock. So I bought a book about a ballerina, which was also a very good book. You know, it was about standing up for yourself and not conforming to society standards.
1: Good themes.
0: Oh, I still own the book. It was a very good book, honestly. It was about this girl who was way too tall to be a ballerina, which I guess is a thing. But also when she showed up for her auditions, she was told to wear a black leotard and she wore a yellow leotard and she was a ballerina of color. She wasn't a white ballerina. But regardless, I got this awesome book. Very good. But I really wanted Harry Potter so badly. (laughs) I wanted it so badly. Fast forward one year to second grade, and I had my own library card, and the sweet, sweet power of the library <laughs> card. <laughs> I got Harry Potter, and I was hooked on fantasy from that point on.
1: That's amazing.
0: So I totally cut you off because I knew we were t- talking about Aragon. No, no, I'm
1: stoked you shared that. I
0: had to tell uh, this story because obviously it's
1: such a generational landmark in fantasy is Harry Potter. But for most kids, it's, you know, I discovered it, or I got recommended, or I was there for every midnight release. But to come from it as an experience of forbidden fruit, it just obviously being huge the way it was, just wanting it that much more. I
0: think my older sister had already read Harry Potter or started reading. Like, it wasn't my family telling me I couldn't read it. It was somebody telling me they wouldn't purchase a book for a child.
1: Yeah, that's a dink move.
0: Which, like... I knew this other adult could afford the <laughs> book. It wasn't about the money. It was about the fact that she thought Harry child, Potter was like not appropriate for yeah. children. And Ugh. it was like this weird dichotomy. Having a
1: child injustice
0: moment. <laughs> it just felt wrong. You shouldn't <laughs> prevent a child from reading a story. Yeah. I also didn't know anything about it. Just the, the artwork captivated me and it was so popular. I was like, what's this? I must know. The
1: ancient lore. Yeah, the like secrets. what's going on?
0: <laughs> What is this book? Why is this classic book where have this huge display?
1: I know. It was definitely such a good experience. Paralleling that, Aragon for me definitely was not forbidden fruit, but it was definitely that key unlock of a chest moment and just seeing the treasure inside of just Ooh. how rich and exciting fantasy reads can be. I think for me, with a good book is compelling characters and I understand your sentiments of not enjoying the first one, but for the Aragon series, Book Two on is just such a triumphant tale.
0: I'd like to read it because you have told me that Book Two On is better. Mm. I will say Book One may be skeptical, and one thing I just miss genuinely about being a child is getting lost in a book. Yeah, it's so much harder as an adult to find the time to get lost in a story. And those rare moments when you do get lost in a story are more enjoyable now. But I want to have the joy that you had reading Aragon, because I know you like to talk about it mm. a lot and you reference it a lot.
1: It's funny, too, because I'm definitely the type of reader where I'm slower. I really, especially as I've gotten into adulthood, I really enjoy fine tooth combing a sentence and just sometimes savoring the language use and like descriptions. So I really take my time with a book when i was younger
0: (laughs) i was gonna say it's true i'll watch you read and you'll like slowly read a paragraph and you'll close the book and just slowly nod your head like (laughs) yes yes that was literally
1: literally oh my god
0: and then you'll kind of look at me like you want to share but also you don't want to because you'd have to provide the whole backstory yeah
1: it's opening a can of worms sometimes but when i was younger i used to just kind of speed read through stuff and i want to say maybe when i started like in college i was like what am I doing? This part's awesome. Like, take a moment, reread it, enjoy it. Cause I think a lot of the times when you're so stoked in a story, you just kind of fly through it because you're so amped to see what happens next.
0: Well, you've just started to get into audiobooks.
1: That's been great. I enjoy audiobooks a lot. I've gotten over with some stories my mental pronunciation with some words and names. <laughs> However, oh my God,
0: we always pick that apart on our podcast episodes. Oh,
1: I know. But there's there's something really enjoyable about audiobooks, especially when time is limited, when we're multitasking at home, like meal prepping or working out. It's nice to enjoy a good story.
0: I love putting them on the car. Honestly, like the commute time of my workday, if I don't have an audiobook on or another podcast, feels like lost time to me. Yeah, I like to listen to music a lot, but honestly, using that dead space time to enrich. My reading time or count for reading time is huge, Mm. especially because growing up, I used to read, you know, 100 to 150 books a year. That's wild. I read now 20 to 30. And some of that is for sure the podcast because we have to slowly pick apart and slowly savor certain books. But yeah, I read read far less now as an adult than I did as a kid. Mm. But a lot of that is being an adult. Right. I have to go to work, <laughs> I have to manage our household, we have to do chores, we have to commute, we have to grocery shop and meal prep and pay bills and get to bed on time. And, and there's not that kind of responsibility when you're a child.
1: No, it's usually school, whatever extracurricular you got signed up for, tutoring if need be, and that was it. I remember as a kid, summers were Summers, a I'd millennia. read like
0: 45 books. Yeah. No joke.
1: Cause for many years I never did summer camp or anything. So like every day was just whatever I wanted it to be.
0: <gasps> Can we talk about summer camp for a minute?
1: Ooh, yeah. Okay,
0: so my last year of summer camp. I went to summer camp every year through scouts. My last year was my seventh grade, eighth grade of school. So, you know, definitely like kind of aging out of summer camp, but I still loved it. But it was the year that Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows was released. And Ooh. it was released While I was at camp, people went wild. Rules flew out the window. People were stealing from each other. They were fighting over the books. The camp had to ban the book because it was causing too much problems. (laughs) So Too much
1: of a hot commodity.
0: Oh, absolutely. So what happened was this girl got her copy stolen. And after that, they said, no more. No more Harry Potter at camp. And then my friend Evie got a copy mailed to her while we were at camp. And our camp counselor very, very secretively delivered the package to us, even though she knew for sure what it was. And she winked at us twice. And she said, shh, when she gave her the package. I have this lovely memory of six of us laying. We pulled all our camp cots together. So our beds were all smashed into one big kind of like conglomerate and we read the start of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows by flashlight Altogether? well it was not allowed out loud to each other stop
1: that is absolutely amazing
0: it's one of my favorite memories that's a
1: core memory that is wow
0: we just opened the book jacket and read the little blurb inside which if you're a potterhead like i am you know is like one paragraph it's so small There's no information in it. And we just read it and we got so hyped. We were like squealing in our tent and we had to be like, shh, 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 the the counselors can't know what's going on. We have to be quiet. And it was so hard to contain your excitement because you're still a child at heart at that point, but you know like what you're supposed to be doing behavioral wise. And we knew we were breaking the rules and that made it even more fun for us. Oh,
1: yeah. That's amazing.
0: Ugh, it was such a time. It was amazing. And then all the camp counselors were like, did you stay up all night reading it? Did you stay up all night reading it? Did you stay up all night reading it? And I think all of our counselors are probably in their early 20s, but, you know, they looked like big adults to us. And we were like, oh, my God, they all stayed up all night reading it. Just They pulled all-nighters for this book. Yeah. It was huge. We had to know what happened. Did Harry die? Did Harry not die? Like, who won?
1: What a phenomenon. I it love, was such a
0: phenomenon. I love
1: that you were able to have that fun experience. That sounds truly magical.
0: Yeah, and I never got to go to any of the book releases. I that just wasn't in the cards for me growing up, so to have these other really exciting memories associated with books, I think I just will treasure in my heart forever.
1: Mic drop, absolutely perfect.
0: Ugh, I loved it.
1: Reading, reading is very special. I feel that into adulthood I've encountered a lot of fascinating and good stories. I'm definitely the type of reader, regardless of what I'm doing, you catch me all the time, where if I'm, like, stoked off something, I'll, like, utterly really be like, yes! Or, like, no! <laughs> and, like, something happens. You but,
0: do.
1: I mean, obviously, we started our podcast with our love for the King Killer Chronicle series. When that book three, Doors of Stone, ever releases, I will be at that midnight release. I will take oh, yeah. a day out of work and just
0: I'm not stopping reading until yeah. it's done, and then I will reread it a second time, and then a third time, and then maybe we'll be ready for the podcast. Yeah. There's always going to be a lot to unpack. But so for Name of the Wind, I actually read that before you.
1: Yeah, Nick recommended it to you.
0: Yes, so our friend Nick, who guested on the podcast during our coverage of Name of the Wind, recommended it. And then Phoebe, who also guested it on it, subsequently recommended it, and I ended up reading it. And it was weird because I remember reading the book and enjoying it, but I didn't have strong feelings about it. And I passed it off to you, and you clearly picked it apart way more than I did and enjoyed reading it far more than I did. And I think you catapulted my love for the story because I was just, I, I read it at a very surface value the first time through. Mm. And then you took the time to go through and read it slowly and you're a very character motivated reader or i'm a plot motivated reader and i think if you hadn't pointed out all these things to me i wouldn't have actually enjoyed name of the wind as much as i do Mm. now
1: yeah i truly i fell in love with Kavoth, like right out of the rip (laughs) i thought just such a dynamic character i know some people regardless of how they feel about the series will sometimes call him a mary sue or Too many amazing, spectacular things happen to him. Uh Uh-huh. But he also suffers a lot in different ways. So something about that really just rang a bell for me with his character of just suffering and doing whatever it takes for the cause. And that series as a whole is just will always hold a place in my heart. But I think you were on to something, though. And I never really thought about it till tonight when we were talking about it was I am truly a character-motivated reader where if there's not at least one to two characters I have a strong gravitation towards or can align with their viewpoint, a book will not succeed for me. You also just
0: love to see character development and growth. Yes. That's huge for you in a story. And I appreciate it, but I am for sure here for the plot. Mm. I love fantasy for those big sweeping actions that you get those huge battles those intergalactic movements in sci-fi and fantasy and the huge action that we don't really get to see in
1: our own world no that's really fair i think that's a lot what gravitates people to fantasy too is these amazing powers abilities places animals things that are beyond our world and what makes that so rich and exciting to read
0: because I've definitely seen people say like, oh, you know, if if politics were more like such and such book, I'd be more interested in them. It really comes down to like, they are still all kind of the same, like politics and the world we have now isn't that different from politics and the world you see in fantasy. But I think there's something that's more palatable in fantasy and the fact that we get to see more how the machine works. I don't know. I, I, ge- I guess get what you're
1: picking up, though, Brandon Sanderson said it, it best: bit. where setting and worlds should act as a character unto itself.
0: Yeah, and there's nothing exciting about your own world because you live in it, even though it would be exciting to somebody else. Mm. So I think the idea of fantasy is so grand and pure because you can see the evil and the good, and you can see the individual actions coming together into a powerful collective and that's a lot harder to see in modern day politics and actions going on in the world yeah sometimes
1: no you're definitely on something with that and so just to expand on that for me when i read fantasy why i fixate so much on characters and growth because you get these unique and extraordinary worlds presenting unique challenges and then you're putting yourself in the potential protagonist or antagonist shoes and saying, "How would you react in these situations? What would you do if you had these abilities? This was happening. Would your thought and mindset align?" For me, when I really connect with a character and I see them like overcome oppression or whatever the antagonist or scenario throws at them, you can't help but just like be excited and rooting for your character. It just such a rewarding experience, I think that's what will make or break a book for me. And so not to go on a long tangent, but recently, and it took me forever to finish it, was um, The Atlas 6.
0: Oh, please go on because we rated this, on your request, one star on Goodreads and people had questions for you.
1: I know. And now it's time to kind of address some of those things. I think for me, what I'm looking for in a story is obviously characters that, for better or for worse, you have a connection to. Whether you really dislike them, or you're rooting for them, or you're just excited to see what their journey is. And we're presented with six very unique individuals in the Atlas Six that are all candidates to join this alexandrian society the best of the best magic users of the world to have membership of this intellectual society and guard all the sacred knowledge of the alexandrian library and on premise that's amazing that's awesome wait
0: is this about the alexandrian library
1: it's a play off of that so they talk about historically within the story that the great alexandrian library was destroyed and they swore like never again oh. and so these magic users from generations past become like knowledge seekers and gatekeepers of all the collective knowledge in the world oh. and guard and protect it like this is awesome plot Who yeah would this not be stoked sounds about exciting
0: this? i feel like the loss of the library of alexandria is some especially as like a history nerd something huge we talk about it all the time it's like the subject of constant meme making in our groups we want to know what was lost right. so this book sounds like it would have awesome potential and I remember when you we went to the bookstore you were reading the dust jacket and you got very excited about it
1: yeah and like not judge a book by its cover but the cover art was great yeah the dust jacket cover blurb sounded fascinating and I was hooked I was like all right I am ready to, like, tear this thing apart.
0: All right, well, not tear it apart. Tear it anyone. <sighs> Get going.
1: <laughs> I think my thing is I didn't like it. I've encountered people online who've said they've liked it. Every contribution to the fantasy community is valid. However, the reasons why I did not like this book start with the writing style. I think plot-wise, some of the characters... It was great, but just the pacing and physical writing of the story was just such a chore. We get introduced to modern day society as if it was ruled by magic users in more of a metropolitan-esque society where the highest ability magic users are in systems of government. They head businesses. It's very much as if An American or Metropolitan-style world had magic users. It's not the grand high fantasy perspective, which I don't necessarily hate off the cuff, but I was surprised that the setting was definitely more based on a real-life society.
0: But it's definitely, like, modern. Modern. Okay.
1: So a little... That's a
0: tough niche to fill. Yes. And to blend modern things realistically with magic in a way that feels believable
1: yes and i think one thing that was very frustrating was we're introduced to six individuals all ranging from 18 through middle adulthood that all get approached by like 50s yeah or no i take that back mid-30s all get approached by an individual who is a representative of the Alexandrian society. And he presents them each the unique offer to join. He doesn't give a full explanation of what it is. And not every interaction is necessarily like an invitation. He okay. allows them to kind of hedge and want for more. And originally we get these characters that are all pretty good. As far as intrigue.
0: I have trouble with characters that are
1: to go with the flow. No, and a lot of these weren't. They were distrustful. They oh, okay. were okay. Uh, skeptical. There was a lot of people who were like, I don't want, I don't even need this. Why are you approaching me? Like,
0: Oh, okay, okay, so okay. So these were
1: all very realistic reactions. Yes. Each character had a great power set. We had two different individuals whose specialty was like physical magic and like physics. Magic users that could manipulate the physical environment.
0: Okay, yep.
1: And it was partially science-based. So there's a lot of mathematics with physics and chemistry involved as far as base knowledge required to perform certain actions.
0: Okay. Which
1: I like uh, a hard science like magic system. Like you can't just have unlimited. Everything has a price. So that appeals to me where on paper, all right, we have a magic system. There are important rules that define it and define a user's ability to manipulate the environment around them. Cool. Check off the box. We had another user that was the greatest telepath in the world. That's a great power set to explore and like the mental war games that go on with that. Cool. Another magic user that was an empath and could make anybody feel anything. Severely dangerous. Yeah. Cool. Very empty personality of the wielder. Like had no rhyme or reason of his actions, was completely apathetic. So even more dangerous. Yeah. Where we don't have an altruistic character.
0: Okay. I like that combo.
1: The telepath, she was awesome. She was like, drop dead gorgeous, would use her abilities to break people's minds offenses and seduce them and gain secrets and knowledge. Okay. The two, they all sound really powerful. Yeah, they, like They all have these really cool things. There's one girl controls plants. Like
0: What happens?
1: What frustrates me is all of them eventually get invited by the Alexandrian Society to attend the university work for a year, and then at that point, one person is quote-unquote eliminated and the rest are free to join the society. And so throughout the year, they get instruction and lectures in every school of magic. It gets closer and closer to someone being eliminated. Killed? Yes. Okay. That is like a big revelation later on. Mm -hmm. So, sorry spoilers, but here we are. So on paper, these are all really cool concepts. Yeah. What failed so horribly is that Unfortunately for me, the writing style, every single character was treating every conversation like a mental game of chess, and I'm all for politicking, conniving, but it just was so laborious, the language use, and everyone had to be cool and sexy, and everything was so, are you in or are you out, and no one knew how to like form an alliance, so there was constant this, like, will they, won't they. Uh, and for no reason, they then inserted, like, four love triangles.
0: Oh, no, no, no. And it was just... You know how I feel about love triangles. Yeah, no, and I,
1: I'm all for, like, a book with spice. Like, I'm cool, but...
0: I'm fine with that. No, I, I would like to say, for the record, I am not against romance books. I'm not against smutty books, because I like those. I am against books that say they are fantasy, and then are mostly smut and or romance, because... It's just a romance book with, like, fairies. Yeah. Or, like, this person has magic. Because when I want fantasy, because that is truly, from the bottom of my heart, my favorite genre, I want people to have to face these questions of what does it mean to be alone and then triumph against evil. Yeah. And fight something bigger than themselves and have to rely on their friends. Those are the things that's always at the heart of fantasy. I don't care about your love triangle if it's not going to add anything to the plot or raise the stakes of what's happening in the setting and the plot. So
1: with that in mind, it did play a contribution to what was going to affect certain characters, their loyalties and their motivations through this process. Okay, it gets point- so then
0: I can like get behind it if it's going to affect the way things play out.
1: Right. I think ultimately, though, what disappointed me about this book wasn't the, even the characters or the plot. It was the focus. It was definitely more of a book of alliances, plotting, deception, dialogue? and dialogue. I'm going to show you the writing itself later. It's just so self-indulgent and unnecessary and extra- you know, when so, you can
0: tell an author has right-clicked upon every word and used the like synonym feature. <laughs> yeah,
1: I just, I felt like the author was just trying to sound so cool and intelligent. And there was not one single sentence that I actually felt impressed by. And you know me, usually every single work I'm like, this is fantastic. This is great. Yeah, I love you this. find
0: those, you personally, like you, Sam, you do find those lines because you have such a big heart when you, you have a big heart in general in life, but like when you read, you find those lines, and you're like, oh, I loved that. Yeah. And you always close your book and you read it to me. And I loved not doing once, that. literally the entire time you're reading Alice Six, you're like, I hate this book. This book is stupid.
1: But I don't like to leave anything unfinished. So I trudged along and completed it. The worst part was for all this mystery and intrigue, it ended up going exactly the way I thought it was going to go from uh. the beginning. So I was like, cool, I was just proven right. There was no creative burst moment that was, wow, I'm glad I followed it to the end because I wasn't expecting that, you know? So there's no payoff. No payoff. And I think to pick it apart more on just an own personal preference level, I think every character appeared unique, but there was not a single one that I felt invested enough that I wanted them to win. If you're presented with six very unique magic users, all with different complexities, personalities, and motivations with how they interact. And out of six, I don't find at least one that I'm like, I want you to succeed. I am like so behind this. You failed. You failed as a story.
0: Yeah, it's boring.
1: And the last thing I will say about it that really frustrated me was if you're gonna have such a diverse magic system, flush it out better. There were minor explanations of things why they how they worked but none of it felt concrete enough for me to believe it
0: yeah you've explained this book to me at least three times now and i've been still to this point perplexed by the magic each person has they don't seem to fit seamlessly into a world it seems like they, the authors sort of picked and pulled at what they thought would be cool but didn't think about how everything would flow into a world together
1: right and i think maybe that might be explored in the subsequent books which i'll never read but um (laughs) there was just too many things that were possible there was a lot to do with the mental magics and dreams being like warp gate points and different animal species beings of like part centaur part mermaid
0: oh my god wait and yeah it just went off the rails and this is why I, I don't like that movie Up because there's just like too many magic systems <laughs> happening. But regardless of that, to kind of bring it back to fantasy in general, you're talking about magic systems that are either hard magic or soft magic. Have you I heard of this concept before? I prefer
1: hard magic where there are specific conditions and rules. Yes. Because if magic's unlimited, what stakes are there at well, a certain point?
0: Okay, so soft magic doesn't necessarily mean it's unlimited. Hmm. I think it just means it's sort of an ambient part of the world. Very much so in the way that Lord of the Rings is. You have elves. You have wizards. They don't have rules that Tolkien explicitly laid out, but they're still there. You know what I mean? That's
1: fair. Okay.
0: But I was going to ask you if you have a preference over like hard or soft magic.
1: Yeah, definitely hard magic. I think-
0: Okay, I am too. I do like hard magic better. (laughs) I like
1: to fully understand the ability- in its entirety and what its capabilities are because when you have a sense of a character's limitations Mm -hmm. the payoff is that much better when they overcome something challenging
0: i think you and i are also both very scientifically minded and Mm. analytically mentally organized just you know the way we are we we trend more towards type a yeah and so i think being that way and interacting with the fantasy world and with this sort of looser set of social rules you encounter in the fantasy genre. It's nice to have hard magic systems in the way that there are rules, but also there are those limitations that you were just talking about. Mm. It's awesome to see somebody overcome those and it's cool to see where an author is creative enough to make a character bump up against a wall where they can't just solve something with magic. Yes. And I love that because I think that's where we see our character's true core. Mm-hmm. For example, one of my favorite scenes, The Name of the Wind, is when Kvothe tries to catch the name of the wind, as it were, when he's with Abanthi way, way, way oh, at the beginning yes. by binding his lungs to the air. And he's like, oh, I'm so clever. I've thought of this loophole. And it totally backfires on him.
1: Yeah, it almost suffocates and dies.
0: Right. And that's such a real scary feeling. And, you know, we don't know what it's like to bind our lungs to something, but we do know what it's like to be a child and have the wind knocked out of us.
1: Yeah. Or just be fully out of control and in peril. Yes. It just raises the stakes that there are consequences for actions.
0: For sure. So I think I like the hard magic system better. Mm. I know I said on this episode so far that I was a huge Potterhead. Yeah. But one of the things I do dislike about Harry Potter is that it's never a defined magic system. I know you have to quote unquote study and learn, and some people are just more
1: naturally adept to magic than others.
0: Yes, naturally inclined. But there's no like
1: it's a understandable consequence. Yeah.
0: Some people just make their wands backfire some people do and some people don't and i don't know i i like as a reader having that sort of external knowledge that a character may or may not have and watching them walk into a booby trap they've set for themselves essentially Mm. when they don't know how to do their magic well and i think the soft magic systems with people who are wizards or elves they're definitely falling out of popularity right now and i think that's because there's just not like a
1: there's not a lot of clear
0: high understanding of why these people have magic
1: so great full circle with harry potter and even my own experience with aragon uh-huh i think that's one of the main reasons why i truly fell in love with that series at a young age was the very definitive magic system the ancient language is it just is so concrete where You have words of power that you can learn, and then you have mastery over it. But if you have certain magic reserves, or there's more complexity, or you make a statement that's open-ended, it'll creep draining your magic, and if you don't have enough, it'll kill you.
0: So sympathy. Essentially.
1: (laughs) And learning as the reader and the protagonist of the ancient language and the rules of magic within that world is so gratifying, because through Aragon's journey, you understand more as he does and you get to see him rise to the occasion and accept his destiny when greatness is thrust upon him but again he's a very flawed character so you can get frustrated with his mistakes you can empathize with his failures but at the end the payoff is so rewarding that it's worth the journey And even other characters in that story are phenomenally written so Again, I will always advocate you just trying from book two on. I think that's where the story really takes off. I'll try. For me, hard magic systems, again, are just my bread and butter. I think with fantasy and even as we expanded with sci-fi, for me, I really enjoy surprises in books, but I think I like to have a concrete thought and feel for the world that I'm in because it allows me to get into the character's mindset and perspective of like what decisions would I make in that position I think that's what for me is the end goal of being in a book if I'm engrossed and I'm thinking about what would I would do if I was this character that's when you're locked in that's when you're invested because you want to find out what's happening almost on a personal level at that point
0: yeah that being said is there uh, we've talked so much about fantasy books And I think we've established like what our fantasy favorites are. Mm. What about movies?
1: Ooh, because I
0: think weirdly, in a strange and bizarre roles reversed way, for movies, you are very plot oriented, and I am very character oriented, and that's exactly the opposite of how we are in book interests.
1: Yeah, that's a really good observation.
0: Like you love Marvel movies. Yeah, I do. I think think those are one hundred percent plot. I can't stand marvel movies i know i love a good sad movie where i see the character have just like deep depression and sadness and like the world has beat them down and then there's like a glimmer of hope at the end that's an ideal story to me in a movie cinematic way
1: Mm. i think i identify more with plot for that very reason where sometimes if I see a soul-crushing movie, especially with a character I really empathize, I will then in turn become soul-crushed, <laughs> and that's a great experience when a movie can hit you that hard.
0: No, I think that's very fair. But I
1: think as for that mindset that I tend to carry, why I tend to appreciate plot-based movies more, because if a movie really destroys someone or a character that I empathize with, I'm like... That wasn't necessarily the goal of the movie. It's usually supposed to be, for me, entertainment or feel-good. So if I see a movie that ends up, like, ripping my heart out of my chest, I'm like,
0: ugh. (laughs) Interesting. So I think for me, I can read books, but I cannot cannot picture the scenery in the movie the way sometimes, like, a director would display it. So sometimes I love to see even book adaptations. I know that's, like, a interesting take, but I think I like to see like a director's interpretation of a story. So for example, like one of my favorite stories is for cinema, the movie Gattaca, which we've all probably seen in freshman year biology, (laughs) and you've probably never seen again. But it's such a capturing of the human spirit. And I think there's something that actors, good actors can really... Like like again, the word capture, just like put on their faces and their their actions and their mannerisms when they're in their acting zone that is really hard to capture on a page. And I think that's why some stories fit well for cinema. So Gattaca is a book, yeah, which I haven't actually read.
1: No, neither have I. I absolutely love that movie when you showed me that like maybe like a decade ago. I instantly fell in love. It's such a great- <laughs> it sounds,
0: We sound so old you say a decade uh, ago. I know, stop. <laughs> but it is, it's one of my favorite movies. And I, I think there's just something to be said about finding the right medium for your story. Yeah. I obviously love books, you love books, but not all stories should be books. Not all stories should be TV shows, not all stories should be movies.
1: No, oh, that's a big debate in itself. I think for me, a very underutilized form of media- for books is animation. Oh, okay. I preach about this all the time when we're reading something together where I just think it's such a good media source to display something fantastical, whether it's sci fi or fantasy, otherworldly. You can just do things that look so phenomenal, where with CGI and live action, things can look dated or cheap or corny.
0: Instantly. I think you've made a really good argument for this over our years of being together because I am initially not a animated person. You know, I'm not a cartoons person. I don't like the animated medium that much. But I think having shown me anime, you've shown me kind of like the range that that animation can be because I was really just used to like Nickelodeon growing up. <laughs> And I, I really never thought I would be the person to say this, but I think that animation could have such a huge potential for adapting fantasy to the screen because you can draw literally anything or you can just CGI some like spray foam shaving cream bad <laughs> animation into Harry Potter.
1: Oh, yeah. The shaving cream one <laughs> <water> magic. <laughs> Terrible.
0: Horrible. And that's, yeah, that's the hell I will die on. I do think that's, like, such a a huge potential. And for someone who, again, isn't, like, a, a major fan of cartoons, I think that, like, a lot of leaps and bounds have been made in, like, bringing cartoons more to a main screen lately, making that medium more recognizable. And you and I have watched Blood of Zeus on Netflix, like, four or five times now, and that's something that, i have really resonated with and i think that the animation team brought something to the screen and not only the animation but like the sound effects team and the the script writers really brought something that that just like i didn't know i was missing in my life
1: <laughs> yeah no that's a phenomenal story and that's and why i love that story i love animation because you can take something so creative like that and it would make a great story but just to have different perspectives and point of views and demonstrations of abilities in that way for me is just, I love it. And that's why I'll always love different forms of that media.
0: So how do you feel about books to video game adaptation? There isn't
1: that many that I have direct experience with other than the Witcher. Okay. Obviously for me, I got onto that bandwagon a little late. I had watched the show. I have played a few games. I've never read the books. Mm -hmm. So I don't have enough experience to really give it its due justice. But what I can say...
0: Is that Henry Cavill is a king. Yes, he is.
1: (laughs) He is a treasure that must be protected at all costs. And I think that a lot of the time gaming format has the luxury that movies don't in that people can make very long games nowadays a lot of developers as of late have been doing remastered or reimagines of older titles of themselves okay and they include so much like specifically um i have played through it like six times now but (laughs) the 2023 remake of resident evil 4 and that was such a awesome love letter to the fans
0: wait when did the first game come out
1: uh 2005 at this point it's an 18 year old game the original game i played so much i don't know i'm definitely the personality type of like comfort books games movies where i will definitely re-watch replay reread something into oblivion
0: and, oh, yes, you do. <laughs>
1: and I, I don't know, it sounds cathartic about the cycle, but... I think
0: we finished Wise Man's Spirit and you were like, time to start Kingkiller Chronicles again. Yeah. And I finally made you read my favorite book the other day, The Alchemist.
1: What a joy that was. I've been advocating that to a lot of people. Really? That was such a wonderful story. So...
0: So I've read it only once, but it hit so hard.
1: Yeah, not to get sidetracked, but this this requires due attention. For those who have not read it, The Alchemist is a great, almost fable-like story of a young boy who follows his personal legend of finding treasure and finding himself and what those travels do to make him become the person that he is. And it's definitely just an allegory of like life's experiences and allows you to have like philosophical introspection. And what I really enjoyed about the story was there were so many moments where there was a part of me now that could heavily identify or a part of myself I recognized from years prior that could have used that passage. No matter what stage of life you are on, there's something in that story that'll speak home to you. And that's what makes it a really special and unique story.
0: I think that's what's awesome about that book, but also so many books that you and I have read together. You and I have spanned the the bridge between like sci fi, fantasy, murder mystery, young adult, romance,
1: spicy,
0: <laughs> historical fiction, even yeah. Like, like we've hit so many genres just as a couple in our reading where we share books together because we often read out loud to each other, as we've mentioned many times before. But I I think that that's something that's really powerful about writing is it doesn't matter what genre you're in, is if you've found your element, your book will hit home.
1: Yeah. One of my favorite stupid memes is a book is just dead tree skin, you stare at symbols and hallucinate. (laughs)
0: God, I feel horrible now. Oh, yeah.
1: It, whoever wrote that was just on another level. But
0: Tree, Treebeard is sad.
1: Treebeard is sad. However, there is something wild about even just the concept of a written story and where that can take you with your imagination to get that lost, I think is something very special.
0: Something I think is very cool as an adult is realizing that imagination isn't something you lose as a child. Yes, that's such a huge part of our society is saying like creativity and imagination and exploration belong to children, and those aren't for adults and that's something I think we should really mourn is that we're supposed to be cut off from that fact, and that's not okay. It's wonderful to see adults explore and and imagine and have humor and creativity. And all these things that are supposed to be taken away from us, but I think really make us more aware and more powerful as human beings that we can get through literature and movie and cinema and comedy. Like the, there's a lot of things that are we're supposed to turn ourselves off to that I think literature is an amazing medium for because we can get to all of those things.
1: I don't think necessarily that as adults we're cut off to that, but there's a certain reservation due to societal pressures to be responsible. And certain intrinsic needs are sometimes sacrificed. But a lot of adults, I think, would say that they hold on to that in our generation now more.
0: I I think it's changing generation. You bring a good point for that. But I think it is something that we're supposed to theoretically move away from as adults. Mm. I even saw a quote day that said that C.S. Lewis really tried to hide his interest for fairy tales for a long time until he finally gave up what other people cared about himself and then really embraced his love of fairy tales and fantasy because he said, you know what, like, I don't care.
1: Yeah, and then it became such a prolific author. Being an adult is learning to not
0: care about what other people think And not adhering to the status quo. And I I think that's just why I really like fantasy. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's empowering.
0: Like, we don't have to give up our sense of adventure and our sense of excitement because we're grown.
1: Hell yeah. I think that's why I'll never get bored of running this podcast with you. There's always unique, fun, and exciting new stories to listen to. And honestly... My favorite thing about the podcast is interacting with the fans, getting to know people's fan theories, their thoughts and feelings on stories. I absolutely love working with the authors. I think that's such a great, exciting dynamic that I've always thought about and never thought I'd actually have until this.
0: I think it's one of the coolest outcomes of our podcast. Like, not to, like, brag, but I'm going to give a little humble brag. When we started this podcast, it was for us to have an outlet to talk about how much we loved Kingkiller Chronicles because we were spending so much time yelling into the void how much we loved those books.
1: Yeah, especially during the pandemic where we couldn't see a lot of our friends and family.
0: Yeah, so exactly. The podcast started during the pandemic and, and we genuinely just were being like, Oh my god, these books are amazing! And just sort of like you know, bouncing that off each other all the time. So it was awesome to have this community that we built with other Kingkiller Chronicle fans. And and in turn, other fantasy know, um, book fans and authors. and Yes, yes. So it's been so exciting to see all the other people who have come out of the woodwork because of this. And just the friendships and connections along
1: the way. It's just, I absolutely love working with... Authors and just getting to know their inspiration and in intrinsic moments while writing great stories—that yeah. to me is so much fun.
0: It's so cool to hear everybody's different methodologies, their different story building techniques and plans, and their different backgrounds with fantasy. And I think everyone is very valid in the place they're coming from. Like, like fantasy is a genre that's for everyone. Even if you said, you know, I've read one fantasy book and that's all I've read, but I loved it. Cool. You're part of our club. It doesn't matter if you've read a hundred or one books, we want you to be here. And so it's really exciting to be able to talk to the authors who are helping push forward that genre and build the genre. But I also love at the same time talking about these foundational fantasy books where we get to connect with these lifelong fans like we talked about king color chronicles we're talking about mistborn now and we're getting to connect with so many people who are sending us fan theories or their thoughts and comments on every episode and saying you know xyz about the characters or i don't know just it's such an exciting feeling to put something out into the wide expanse of the internet and have somebody ping you back
1: yeah <laughs> It's definitely an awesome, rewarding, such a fun journey. I'm just really glad we did this.
0: Me too. I'm glad you agreed to do it with me (laughs) because it was my idea.
1: Absolutely.
0: But this episode was your idea.
1: I know, and I'm really glad. I was just like, let's just roll off the riff. That being said, I think this will be a great way to wrap up a fun little bonus episode. So listeners, thank you so much for always giving us your time and attention. We love to hear from you. We love to interact with this awesome community. And until next time,
0: happy reading. Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more, check us out at fantasticbookspod.com, where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message.
1: Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at fantasticbookspod.
0: And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks.